0: Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and his kingdom. Nellie, would you mind coming up and, and praying for Bill? Lord, we love you, we honor you, and we thank you for the gift that Bill has been to our uh, family. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to uh, fall on him in a unique way this morning as he speaks about your character, God, and we ask that even as he's speaking, he would experience more of your love and that he would boldly maybe even say things he wasn't planning to say that you know we need to hear. So we thank you, God. In Jesus name, amen i'll just i 'll just go like this when I look at it <clears throat> how's everybody doing We good that was fun right Cool stories about God doing cool things I like those so we are beginning a new teaching series today. This is the stand I set there to use, and I think it might be good if I use it because this one is too short. Starting a new teaching series today. If you've been around in the uh, remotely recent past, you know that we've been working through the gospel of Matthew verse by verse, sequentially. We went through the whole thing thoroughly. Before that, we went through the book of Acts sequentially as well, and so we've we've been for a good little while Uh, going through passages of the New Testament in a row, and uh, we felt like, you know, maybe we could stand to have something a little bit different in our diet as a church, and so we're doing something that's not uh, passage by passage through a book. We're going to do something a little bit more topical, And we're also, uh, what we have mostly been doing lately has been, I would say, fairly instructional in the sense that it is about how do we live faithfully toward Jesus as people who follow Jesus, which is hopefully something we come to church to do, and it's important and worthwhile. But again, it felt like, you know, maybe we need to change it up a little bit. And so uh, our new series is a little less focused on what should we do and really more focused on who God is. So we're going to, the new series is called Who is Our God? We are going to go through a bunch of different aspects of who we, uh, the folks that are doing the series, think God is, what God is like, what is important for us to, as a community to ponder about who God is. And so there will be some implications for how we live our lives, for sure. But first and foremost, this is less about uh, what we should do and more about beholding God and pondering God and discovering more about God and hopefully falling a little bit more in love with God, and that should impact us uh, as people as well, right? Wanting, having more of a hunger for God should uh, cause us to live even more faithfully with greater boldness and persistence and all that good stuff. So, uh, but it is a little more focused on what is God like, and that's what we're going to spend some time on for a little while. And today I'm going to kick us off by talking about the sovereignty of God. And sovereignty, uh, if you're not a theologian, you may not use the word sovereignty in your day-to-day life a whole lot. (laughs) Fundamentally, to talk about God's sovereignty is to talk about God's being in charge of everything we know about. And so God is king over the world. God is above. The aboveness of God, the inchargeness of God, the impact God has on things that happen, stuff like that, that is God's sovereignty. Uh, One of the things that I think is most important about the fact that God is creator. If you look in Scripture, fundamentally saying God is creator is not a, a matter of where did stuff come from. That's not something the Bible's terribly interested in, where stuff came from. The reason it's important that God is the creator of heaven and earth is that it means God is sovereign over heaven and earth. You look at uh, the book of Genesis, you see God speaks and things are so, right? This is sovereignty, and. Uh, at the same time, if God made heaven and earth, that means there's nowhere in heaven and earth where God is not in charge. That means that God can keep His promises. That means that God can uh, protect and defend His people and, and do the things that God wants done. And so, there is nothing that can, as Scripture says, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can pull us out of God's hand, right? Because God made everything, so God is in control and in charge of everything. That's basically what it means that God is sovereign. God's sovereignty can be a comforting thought. If you think that God's will being done is good, if you trust that God is uh, interested in your well-being in some ultimate sense, then God's sovereignty is comforting. I am in a precarious place financially in my life right now. That is intimidating. But I have also found that God is faithful to provide for us as a family and Uh, insofar as we're trying to live faithfully, trying to make decisions based on what we think God is saying, we found that God takes care of us. At least, you know, we don't have fancy cars and stuff like that, but, like, we have enough. And so I trust that God is going to provide, and therefore God's sovereignty is comforting in the face of somewhat scary circumstances sometimes. And it's helpful sometimes even when you are facing something intimidating to proclaim your trust in God that God, you are able to help. I trust that you will. I believe in you. I'm, you know, that's powerful to declare. On the other hand, of course, God's sovereignty can be a troubling thought. And God's sovereignty is most likely to be a troubling thought when we are face-to-face with horribleness because that raises questions, right? If God is so good and if God is in charge, how is this a thing over here? What was that? The place that I uh, relate to this the most directly is that, as many of you know, my wife, Danae, has been chronically sick for about 10 years. She's pretty much in constant pain all the time. That's very crappy. And impacts her life in crappy ways and impacts my life in slightly crappy ways, too. And I'm kinda sick of it. Uh, And we, beyond that, this came about when we were part of a church that, kind of like Brittany was saying, we saw this kind of stuff all the time. We saw people get healed all the time. Uh, we, we had no question that God does stuff like that. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for years, I don't know how many hundreds of times, and nothing ever changed. And so, God, what are you up to? Why, I, I know you're healing people, there's a somebody over here got healed, so what are you doing? That's the tricky part. You know, I love stories about God healing people. The tricky end of it is sometimes it doesn't happen. And well, why? If God is good, why is this a thing that's happening? It doesn't seem to square. And so this basic problem, the various forms that it appears, uh, is a problem that religious people have struggled with for thousands of years. And uh, it is usually called the problem of evil or the problem of pain. That's the that's sort of the label that's put on that issue that many many people struggle with in one way or another. Uh, there are various ways that I think people typically reckon with the problem of evil or the problem of pain that are somewhat unsatisfying. I mean, no one—it's uncontroversial that there's horribleness in the world, right? I don't think anyone would question that. One approach is to say, well, God's supposed to be good. God's supposed to be sovereign. There's stuff that doesn't seem to fit with that, so it must not be true. So God must not be real. There are a few people who just reject the idea of God because they've either experienced or someone close to them has experienced horribleness. Honestly, I don't feel like that's the most common reaction, at least certainly most of the time when I've talked to people about the problem of evil or the problem of pain, they have seen too much of God to seriously entertain the possibility that God isn't real. I think for a lot of us, we've seen enough of God, you know, strikingly acting in our lives or something like that, healing people who can't walk, whatever it is, uh, God has done enough to convince us that he's real, period. So for people who can't seriously entertain the idea that God's not real and it's all just made up, another option that some people end up on is, I'm just kind of going to try and not think about God too much because it's too troubling. I'm just going to distract myself with TV, with you know, whatever, drinking, shopping, whatever it is. I'm going to do other stuff, do my own thing, not reckon with God that much because I just can't handle these questions and the implications and it's just kind of daunting, and so I'm just going to do something else. I had a friend uh, a number of years ago who experienced really cool things from Jesus and then went through a series of really, really, truly awful circumstances And I remember talking to her on the phone at one point, and I was asking if she was still going to church, if she was talking to anyone about what's going on that, you know, who can process it through a a Jesus-type lens. And she basically just said, like, you know what? I thought that being a follower of Jesus meant things like X, Y, and Z wouldn't happen to me. And so it feels like God dropped the ball. And I just don't even know how to deal with that. So I'm just, I'm not not talking to anyone about it. I'm not going to church. I can't bring myself to pray or anything like that because it's just too, ugh. Some people, that's the route they end up going. Still others, I would say, land on, well, if God is sovereign and if there's horribleness, then God isn't good. And that's another way to try and work this all out. So if you look in the book of Job, this is fundamentally Job's position. Job is a righteous man. He doesn't deserve to suffer in the ways that he suffers. He suffers genuinely horrible things. And basically, he adopts, you know, Job is kind of, it's a book that's long-winded. It has these long, poetic things. It's not very quotable, or I'd quote more of it to you. But fundamentally, Job's position is, I don't deserve what's happening to me, so God is not just. And then there's Job's friends, who he's in dialogue with through most of the book. And their position isn't, you know, they're convinced God is sovereign and just. And so what's happening to Job must be his fault. And that's fundamentally how they process it. You must be unjust in some way, because otherwise this wouldn't square with who God is. And we look at nature, and we look at how the world works, and we look at what God has made, and we see these things. And so it must be the case that you've done something wrong to bring this upon yourself, Job. And that is a reaction that some people have as well. The need to explain horribleness. I think it can be very damaging to have to have to explain horribleness in this kind of way. Uh, Danae and I had a friend who, another old friend, who uh, her mother died suddenly of cancer at one point when she was a teenager. And the church, this created a theological problem for the church. They felt the need to explain it. So some people in the church said, your mother died of cancer because she's such a sinner which is, of course, the best thing to tell someone who just lost her mother as a teenager. That's awful. But that's not the worst of it, because other people in the church said to her, no, 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 it's your fault because you're a rebellious teenager and you worried your mother so much and that's why she died of cancer. This is what they told her. It's a miracle she still likes Jesus. It's a miracle she still goes to church. She does. Praise God for that. But that is so, you know, that's damaging. How damaging is that? Um, The need to explain can create really serious problems. And at the end of Job, God comes and shuts down both Job and his friends and they're all wrong. And So, so neither of those is an acceptable option. And then the last major uh, unsatisfactory way of dealing with the problem of pain or evil that I'm aware of is to qualify God's sovereignty in a way where the devil gets bigger. Uh, and so you have, okay, we can blame the devil and not God and it's like there's this Uh, battle going on where sometimes the devil kind of wins and sometimes God kind of wins. Maybe you wouldn't say it that way, but there's people who land on something close to that, I think. And I do believe in the devil. I do believe that there are forces that work against God's purposes. There's something real about that that I'm convinced of. So I'm not saying it's not a thing at all, but God is way bigger. God is way stronger. And again, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 1 John says, the one who is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. The devil, evil spirits, stuff like that. God is bigger. God is never thwarted by anything else. And so God is still sovereign. Nothing can challenge the fact that God is sovereign. So however we want to reckon with horribleness, it can't be uh, an alternative to God being in charge. So what do we do? If I had a totally satisfying solution, I'd write a book and get really well-known as a theologian (laughs) because this is something that for thousands of years people have reckoned with, and if there was a good, easy answer, we would have figured it out by now. So what I do have to offer us is not a totally satisfying solution, but I do have some tips that I think are helpful, that I've found to be helpful in my own, like wrestling with some of this stuff. And so I'll pass those along, and maybe it'll be of some kind of value. And some of this, I think, will come up in future sermons, as we're talking about who God is, I think some of this will come up in future weeks as well. Okay. Uh, So we'll revisit it. But first, my first tip is uh, if you do find yourself with questions about, well, why is this horrible thing true and God good and all that, remember that this is normal. There are people, I think, who find themselves questioning God's goodness if they're suffering or something like that and uh, feel like they're a bad Christian or something. But if you look in scripture, uh, none of this is surprising to God. None of this is uh, somehow abnormal. If you're devoted to God, one of the implications is that at least some of us will struggle with this problem. You can read Job, you can read the Psalms, you see tons of stuff in the Psalms where, where the psalmist is saying, God, why? God, how long? Why do you hide your face from me? You didn't keep your promise, God. It feels like you dropped the ball. Stuff like that. It's all over the place. This is within normal devotion to God to have these frustrations, these issues, these beefs with God about X, Y, and Z that happened. And so uh, you don't need to feel like you're somehow out of bounds if you find yourself in this place. This is totally in bounds, totally normal um, totally common, in fact. The second tip is uh, I think it helps to be in the habit of giving thanks regularly. Whenever something is going wrong, our tendency is to focus on that thing. Like if your whole body is fine except you have one, I don't know, a splinter, you're thinking about the splinter, right? And there's a reason for that, so you can address the splinter. But uh, when it comes to God, There are many, many things for us to be grateful for. And even if you have one or two or 10 really serious problems, and I'm sure some people do, like the tendency is to get focused on those issues and ignore all the rest, but we always have many things to be grateful to God for. And so making it a habit, when things are not so terrible that you can't think about anything else, making it a habit to notice the things that you take for granted, to count your blessings as they say, to uh, recognize how privileged and blessed you are, it's a good habit to do that so that it comes readily when things are hard. And so I like to take time once in a while, I probably should do it more often than I do, but just walk around my apartment and notice things to be thankful for. Like that I have lights. Lots of people don't have lights in their home. And so once it gets dark, they can't really do anything. Uh, and if they're in school, they can't study, whatever. Like This is a privilege that we all you know, tend to take for granted. Drinkable water, like, you know, paved roads, God, thank you that I have this, that, and the other. You know, there's so many things. And if you really take a serious amount of time to notice that as a habit, uh, it's pretty amazing. And that doesn't mean that the serious problems or awfulness goes away or gets fixed, but it at least helps us to situate that in an appropriate perspective. That actually, yeah, there's a lot of blessings alongside the sincere, crappy things. And so we get our, our perspective calibrated that way. The third tip I have is remember your limitations. And this, as I've been thinking about it, is the one that I've been kind of sitting on the most and and pondering the most. We are very limited. We are not well set up to fully understand a thing. So what I want you to do is I wanna take your hands and put them on either side of your head here, like so. And think about how close together your hands are. And remember that you think with a brain that fits between your two hands right now, that weighs three pounds, and, you, you know, you're limited by what you, you can take your hands down if you want to know. The point is, we're not, we're not as smart as we think we are. Humans are an amazing, amazing thing in some ways. It's amazing we do as much as we can do with the three pounds of brain we have. But we are limited. Uh, we are not positioned well to fully understand the significance of anything. We are certainly not well positioned to fully understand God, to think we can with our three-pound brain, if you think about it, is ludicrous. God is, uh, you know, Scripture tells us God is, uh, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, in other words, is way smarter than we are and way bigger than we are. And that doesn't mean we don't try to learn something about God, but uh, as theologians have kept, you know, considered pretty important for a long time, what we know about God is what God reveals to us. We can't figure God out on our own. It's ludicrous to think that we can. We know God insofar as God chooses to make himself known. That's what uh, the proper term would be, divine self-disclosure. That's the thing. Uh, we know what we know about God by divine self-disclosure. God reveals himself insofar as he chooses to, and we get to know about him, and that's great, and we can give thanks for that. We're not good at figuring God out on our own, and so... I appreciate that we're still gonna have issues when something is horrible, but if we make it a habit to keep that in mind, how limited we are, how easily deceived we are, how easily tricked and manipulated and fooled we are, how susceptible our little brains are to error, it can help. I think of myself as a relatively thorough critical thinker and then I walk down the beer aisle at the grocery store and all the pretty labels make me wanna try them all. And it's like, there's this IPA and I don't even like IPAs but that label is so cool, I have to try it. Like, I am so easily tricked. (laughs) We are not as smart as we like to think we are. And so, you know, the day that someone experiences a tragedy is probably not the day to tell them about their tiny brain but if we make it a habit to think of ourselves and God's bigness and our smallness as a general kind of tendency in life, then we are going to be able to process something we don't understand a little bit better, I think. And so, uh, just to put a cap on this, if if we go back to Job, and there's this lengthy, you know, so much talking in Job. Everyone has so much to say. Oh, here's how this thing in nature and this thing, and this is what it says about God and so on. And here's why I'm right. And here's why, no, I'm right. And then finally at the end, if you have read the book, God speaks. And when God speaks, God does not say, here's why what I did was okay. What God says is, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then God goes on for quite a few minutes because they've been talking about nature and how it shows what God is like, and God says, well, what about this? Well, do you understand this thing? Well, what about this other thing? You, You think you know everything, so go ahead and tell me. Explain this one. What about this? What about this? What about this other thing? Oh, how about this thing? You surely understand it, right? In other words, remember which one of us is God and which one of us is not. And Job says, I'm gonna shut my mouth now. It's a book. I, I recommend reading that book this week if you have time, by the way. It's a goodie. So, remembering our limitations. I understand that doesn't totally fix all these problems, but I do think it helps us situate it in the right perspective. Fourth tip I have for us is that we need to keep the story of Scripture in mind, because if we're just toying with, like, God, good, things, bad, etc., Uh, I don't think it's the most helpful way to look at it. Uh, What we find in Scripture is that there is a progression to God's salvation of the world, to God's work in His creation, and we can find where we are in this story. And that awareness of where we are in God's story uh, does help us to think about some of these questions better, I think. So what we find, if we look to Scripture, is that we live in a world that is disoriented from God, because of human rebellion, right? Uh, The world is disoriented from God. God is acting in Jesus Christ to reorient things, and that has begun in the first appearance of Jesus, but we still wait for the final appearance of Jesus in the future, where ultimately God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven fully, and we live in between those things. And we live uh, in a time when something has been inaugurated in Jesus, That will be consummated in the future, and we get to participate in what God is doing in the meantime. So we get to participate in the reorientation of the world while we wait for the fullness of it in the future. Um, There is a sense in which, in the meantime, we are at war. I don't, you know, God is ultimately in charge. The devil is not a serious challenge to what God is doing, but there is a sense in which that metaphor is how we process what we're experiencing. There is stuff working against us, there is contestation happening, and that's an important element of what's going on. Keeping that in mind as we think about the problem of evil is important. Keeping in mind um, the now and the not yet, as we like to say, is important. So when people say, you know, if God is good, why is there pain and suffering in the world, or why do bad things happen to good people, or however people say it, On the surface, that question's not hard to answer. The answer is because Jesus hasn't come back yet. That raises other questions that are harder. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Or why does one person get to walk and another person people pray for and they don't get to walk? There's other questions that are hard and I don't have a good answer for. But at least we need to situate that in, well, the bad things are happening because we're still waiting for Christ to appear and to set the world right once and for all and to establish God's will on earth as it is in heaven fully. And so keeping that in mind can help us. It's not a total solution, but it helps us. Last tip, when face-to-face with horribleness and questions about God's goodness, is remember you're not alone. We have a community. This is not every community out there is a safe place to raise questions. I feel this way about God. I question God's goodness. I don't understand why this thing is happening, etc. Uh, I think this is a group where that's fine to do, where that's safe and you can share how you feel and people can encourage and people can listen and people can pray for each other and so on and so forth. And so don't feel like you have to wrestle with these things alone. Bring that uh, to community and share that and um, trust that there's something to be gained there. So hopefully those things help us. Uh, Some of this we may revisit in the future weeks. What I would like to do right now Given that we do have a community that can support one another, I want us to have one of our delightful small group kind of engagement times or whatever we call them. (laughs) Uh, So, if you would, get into groups of about three ish people and uh, share something about how you find God's sovereignty either comforting or troubling. And if there is uh, prayer that arises from that, pray for each other insofar as it's appropriate if there's um, listening that needs to happen and hopefully not a bunch of advice giving, but listening, maybe some encouragement, maybe some questions, follow-up questions, you know, interact with each other about some of this stuff. Some may have more to say than others, that's okay, but let's get into some small groups. If you have something particularly heavy or sensitive that you feel like you want to open up to someone about, but you're not comfortable opening up to any random person, uh, you may have someone here that you particularly trust that you wanna go and talk to and that's fine. Uh, If you don't, uh, I'm gonna go over to the bottom of the stairs here and maybe a couple of other people who are trusted by this community as safe people uh, can join me, I need to try and grab a few people because I forgot to say something to people. But a couple of us will come over to the stairs and you can go talk to someone at the stairs if if you don't feel comfortable sharing a particularly sensitive thing with kind of people who you don't know anything about. Uh, And so, I'm going to say a prayer, and then let's group up into small groups, okay? So, God, um, thank you for the privilege of knowing you and discovering more about you, and that um, we get to do that in a way that's real and uh, that includes wrestling and includes our participation and includes our questions. I pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit to help us to bear these questions and these issues gracefully and healthily. I pray that you would give us faith in your sovereignty, your capacity to make a difference in the present and uh, your ultimate making new of all things. Uh, Help us to see you as really, really big and to appreciate our smallness And help us to trust you in the midst of that. Uh, And guide us in wisdom and how to minister to one another right now in a way that's healthy and helpful and encouraging um, and that grows us closer to you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.